all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, "Eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Good morning, and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, this month is Suicide Prevention Month, and suicide is a topic that that really no one really wants to talk about, but we have to. We must because there are too many people who are continuing to die by suicide in our state and in our country. Today we'll talk about why some think that it is their only escape and what we can do and need to do to help those who are struggling with such negative and obviously destructive and devastating thoughts. I have some facts, too, that might surprise you about suicide, and we'll go over those in a few minutes. And then I have someone who is going to join us in a bit, um, Gigi Holder, who is a licensed social worker, and she'll talk to us about some of what can lead to those thoughts of suicidal ideation and, and what we can do. So death is difficult. No matter how you lose someone, it's terrible, right? But suicide, as someone famous once said, is a different kind of death. It's a different kind of loss. And the grief that loved ones feel is also different. And it's different because of the feelings of anger, abandonment, and guilt that death by suicide brings to loved ones around them. So I'll say, as someone who has experienced the death of someone that I love to suicide, um, that I would like to spare others from having to deal with it and to and to do whatever we can do. We have to spread the word that um, the best way to prevent suicide from happening is to get the topic out in the open, to talk about the risk, to look at how we can help those who may be at, in that risk category, and what we can do to add support and and perhaps prevent. Now, suicides have um, been up and down as far as frequency over the years, and in 2019 actually took a little bit of a decline But um, with all that's going on now, we continue to have a significant number of individuals. In the U.S., um, 
Around 46,000 people died by suicide in 2020. Um, But around 12 million adults admitted to seriously thinking about suicide. And 3 million of those had a definitive plan. And when you have 3 million people with a definitive plan, having a plan is is a much more negative sign as far as someone who is really reaching an issue where they significantly need help. Um, Still, suicide rates are higher in men than women, but the number of women actively um, losing their life to suicide has increased um, just in, in the last year or so. Um, The other thing, the surprise piece that you may not know is death by suicide is higher in individuals 85 and over. Did you know that? The highest suicide rate in 2020 were in people 85 years and older. And, you know, as we've talked on this show so many times about as we age, um, some of the many difficulties, including loneliness and financial problems, come up. And um, that is why we have to be very careful to remember that we need to support our aged population and to make sure that they're not feeling hopeless, right, You know, understanding why people die by suicide or experience those suicidal thoughts is kind of complicated. Um, And, you know, suicide prevention is is something that we talk about a lot and, and, and how important it is. But what we what we really have to do is dig deeply into what's going on with people, individuals who 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 are coming up with these thoughts that they just can't let go of. So I want to bring up a couple of things um, that we need to learn to stop saying. And, And I have had to consciously make myself do this over the years because the words that have been thrown at us like commit suicide or um, died or, or um, took their life or had a successful suicide attempt or an unsuccessful suicide attempt. Those are all terms that we need to kind of get rid of. Let's put those away. And you may have heard me say at the beginning of the show, died by suicide. So those are individuals who died by suicide. Um or that they they took their own life. Uh, we don't want to talk about a successful suicide because any suicide is obviously a, a loss and something that we have definitely not succeeded in preventing. Right. Um, so <clears throat> it's it's can't be looked at as a failure to die. Okay. Um, it's also. Um, important when we talk about someone's death by suicide that that we um, try to 
discuss what happened and and why but and knowing where or how a suicide happened can sometimes contribute to the contagion so if if that makes sense you've heard about you know one individual um dies by suicide and then the next thing you know another does the same in the same manner so there seems to be no utility whatsoever in talking about how that death by suicide happened we can talk about that it happened and and how tragic it is but to talk about the details and and what happened and and all of that are seem to be completely unproductive okay and then one more thing i'll say and then i want to bring our guest in and invite you guys to call in and share your experiences um with us one other thing is it's important to know that dying by suicide is not caused by a weakness or a personality flaw or selfishness. And I think often we say that kind of thing. I can't believe he did that. That was such a selfish act. What it's often caused by is searing pain that that an individual is trying to escape from. So if we can keep that in mind, that that it is such upset and anxiety or pain or area of difficulty that you feel like there is no ability to escape from. Many of these people don't want to die. They want to escape from the pain. So I know, I will say, listeners, I know many of you out there have lost someone that you love, as I have, uh, to suicide. Uh, I know that many of you may have wondered if suicide was the answer um, for you to escape from pain. And and as, as I say often, I think many times our callers are so incredibly helpful to the other listeners so that they can understand that, that you're not alone, that this is something that is common, and that's something that we need to get in the forefront and discuss and talk about. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We are talking about suicide. And let's go to our wonderful guest, Gigi Holder. Gigi, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate you um, jumping in this tough topic. Hi, Dr. Butcher. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me back on. I'm glad to, glad to be here to talk about this topic for sure. So, Gigi, we can talk um, about supports as we move through, and and I think one thing that I I really would like for you to talk to us about um, in the next few minutes is is about uh, people who are at higher risk for. Um, suicidal ideation, thinking about those negative thoughts. And those are people who have experienced trauma. I know you've done a lot of work in the area of uh, trauma-focused care. Um, I think I said at the beginning of the show, uh, Gigi is a licensed um, 
clinical social worker who has who does uh, lots of mental health support and manages one of our mental health support uh, lines, right, Gigi? Yes, that is correct. So if you will, just in a couple of minutes, talk to us about um, the trauma that some people experience and what, what, why it makes them feel hopeless sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, you know, first and starting off with, and you had pointed to it before when we uh, talk about the how we frame suicide and how that happens, just the fact that language is so important. So when we hear the word trauma, our minds automatically go to thinking about this catastrophic event that happened for an individual. And it doesn't always have to be that because we all uh, embody events in our lives in different ways. So it can be when we say trauma or whatever the event was, it can be as something as a job loss, the loss of a loved one. It can be a pet dying. It can be, you know, just a, a, a number of different things. So I, I really want to turn that attention to that word trauma and just noticing that, you know, it doesn't always have to be something just so catastrophic that 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 would equal, that would mean like, okay, now that's how it explains thoughts of suicide did come up. So I think that's important to keep that in mind. Um, but really, you know, when thoughts of suicide do come up, it's, it's really what's leading a person to those thoughts is it's an escape. It is a solution to get away from the pain, the hurt, whatever it is that they're wanting to stop. So you had mentioned it before, Dr. Buttress, about that a person is not wanting to die. It's not looking at it from that frame standpoint as much as it is, as much as it is whatever it takes for this pain to stop. And if a person is thinking about, well, you know, suicide, this is my only way out, they're more likely to lead towards that option because they don't see any other way out. Right. And, and that's something that we have to keep in mind right there, that, that a person is looking at it as a solution to the pain stopping. Right, right. If you have someone that you're concerned about, if you need to give support to someone, or if you're having thoughts yourself and just want to step through it, please send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We're talking about how to prevent suicide, what we can do, how we can help others. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with the social worker Gigi Holder, and we are talking about difficult topic, um, suicide, um, death by suicide, and suicidal ideation. Um, what what makes people go there? Uh, we've talked a little bit about that. Um, another risk um, that is out there, and I'll mention it, is is a history of mental illness. Now, I think there's a misconception that everybody who who dies by suicide has a history of of mental illness, and they don't. Uh, many times there are undiscovered problems with severe anxiety or some real difficulties with a particular area in your life and and you can't find escape from it and so so you are an individual who at least thinks about it as an escape as as uh, Gigi was mentioning earlier but um 
having a mental illness does put you at a bit of increased risk, especially if you have depression or bipolar disorder. Those two tend to put you at a little bit increased risk. But there are other issues, too, because everybody with depression, obviously, um, does not have suicidal ideation. Um, So lack of good mental health services puts you at higher risk. Lack of social supports puts you at higher risk. Lack of having um, individuals around you. And then, as Gigi mentioned, um, trauma that that sometimes may not seem severe. Now, Gigi, you mentioned loss of a pet. And and I would just like to say... uh, I think that can sometimes be a big one because sometimes I've I've just recently lost um, uh, one of my dogs who was a love of my life. He is just a sweetheart. Well, my husband's the love of my life. Let me take that back. But my puppy dog was just one of those guys who greeted me at the door and loved me unconditionally. So, Gigi, um, that that is something I think sometimes people don't understand the real impact when you have a pet like that who is such a big support, right? Right, absolutely, Um, because it's a relationship, you know, and all relationships to us, no matter if they're with people or with the animals in our lives, they're strong relationships. And like you said, we have memories, we have interactions with them, they're there when we're sick, they can sense how we're feeling, all of that. Uh, I myself, you know, have lost a a pet that I had for a very, very long time uh, and still in my own ways, you know, uh, deal with the grief from that. So and sometimes one that won't ever go away. So um, I think it is important to, you know, just keep that in mind that it it all comes back to that stress, the level of that stress, the type of stress, the severity of stress. And none of us from the outside looking in, we can be like, well, it wasn't that big of a deal or whatever. But to the person it, 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 it can mean so much more. None of us can can accurately label what that experience is like for that person, depending on where that stress is coming from. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's go to the phones. We have Charlie um, on the line. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for calling. Hey, Dr. Susan. Glad to call in again. I love your show, you know. Thank you, Charlie. I love for you to call. Uh, the reason I called is... Uh, a number of years ago, the company I worked for went out of business, and I couldn't find a comparable job, and a lot of things happened. And I know that I felt, I'm not one who suffers from depression, but I felt so lost and so afraid and so, un I don't know, out of the ordinary with my own life and feelings that I eventually I felt to the point I had to reach out to some counselors and I even one time called a counseling hotline to get advice. And so this past year, because of what I had gone through, a good friend, her daughter in Nashville basically was drinking, 35 years old, and died and was had been suffering, and she didn't know it. And so we have struggled together in our friendship about her coping with it. And so what I want to say is that I know the value of counseling and I know the value of reaching out to anybody. And when my friend reached out to me, 
I encouraged her to go to counseling, which she did, and now she's in a really good grief support group. And so, therefore, my own struggles helped her and, of course, helped me. And shows like your program today, I think a lot of people will hear it, and I'm just saying I hope they'll reach out and talk to somebody and go to a counselor or go to their church or go to a friend or neighbor. Right. It just helps to reach out. Charlie, thanks for that, because I think we've talked about this on on this show so many times is is something that we know helps all of us with resilience, with feeling connected, with feeling apart, um, not feeling as sad as having an individual that we can go and talk to. Right. And um, I know, Gigi, you probably want to address that because we, we know that 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 is something that that has been pointed out in the literature over and over again, the importance of social supports, right? Many hotlines yeah. and so many uh, places that you can call anonymously and talk to someone, and they'll yeah. point you in the right direction. And I think that's what happened with my friend when I reached out and told her, that, look, you can go to counseling at the universities. You can call... Uh, different support groups and that's what she did she went to a counselor eventually and within a few months and I think she realized just like her daughter or what I went through you just feel lost you just feel unable to cope you feel like you can't take anymore right and I just hope people yeah. realize they can find someone who will help Thank you, Charlie. Gigi? That reaching out, yeah, Yeah. that reaching out is so important right there. And sometimes it is easier to reach out to, you know, someone, a quote-unquote, a stranger, as opposed to than it is to a family member or a close friend who we feel like who knows us and knows us more intimately. So, I mean, either either way, if it is a family friend, if it is a coworker, if it is a counselor, if it is a crisis line, just noticing that using those resources, using, using those uh, support networks is important. They don't work if we don't use them, if we don't reach out. That's right. That's right. This might be a good time to say that if anybody out there listening is is having any any thoughts or concerns or questions, uh, there is a new national line, um, a nine eight eight number. You can call that. It's um, and there will be some support and someone to answer for you. It's nine eight eight. So keep that in mind as we're talking through this. I really would like to hear from more of you with your thoughts, your questions, and your experiences with suicide, because I know um, people out there have them. So I think this might be a good time for us to kind of talk through um, some of the things that you really do need to know. and, and I will say that physicians did not learn some of these things until um, fairly recent years. Like, you can and you should ask someone if they have, if you are concerned that someone might have suicidal thoughts or that there has been some implication that they may be thinking about harming themselves, you you should ask. It's okay to ask. There is no evidence that it increases the risk 
of actually uh, dying by suicide. And in fact, it seems that it can help prevent it because then it becomes out in the open, right, Gigi? Right, absolutely. And I was going to add to that, Dr. Butcher said, if a person feels uncomfortable with just leaving that question out in the air to say, are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you thinking of killing yourself or taking your own life? If it feels too uncomfortable to leave that question in the air, you can follow it up by saying, well, if you are, or if you ever do, please know you can come to me. You can you can leave the person with that so that they just know that in the event, if it ever, ever does, they have someone that they can already contact right then and there. You've given them permission to do so. Right. And, and along those same lines, it's okay to use the word suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that... That is a, a word that people often have been afraid to use. Um, you know, Gigi, the other thing that that we we were talking and, and actually our first caller, Charlie, kind of mentioned this. He lost his job and couldn't find a comparable job. And um, believe it or not, everyone, uh, money is at the top of the list as one of the reasons that individuals do take their own lives, right? And and that is because so many times people do start going, oh my gosh, I can't support my family. I, I can't pay my house note. Um, I, I, I may lose my house. I can't pay my bills. Um, and so then the other issue that happens is many times people who do have some mental health supports withdraw from that because they can't afford it all of a sudden. So it kind of gets to be a ripple effect. And so, Gigi, how would you suspect you you recommend that people um, when they do find they're having money problems, are there supports for those who perhaps can't afford the cost of some of the mental health services? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It might be if they're able to contact their local community health center, even some of the national organizations like the um, National Alliance on Mental Illness, so that's NAMI, um, they're a great resource that individuals can reach out to um, to find free resources. Even now, and I know we've talked about this on previous shows before too, but we can't negate the fact of like social media, there are groups out there, Facebook groups, if it's Instagram, things like that, where we can still make a connection where we still can reach out and have these accesses to other individuals or get some advice, get that counseling, so to speak, and and not have to worry about the money aspect, because I know that that is a factor. So we, we also have to consider that, um, that social media still can be a resource in those instances, too. Right. We talk about the negative effects, the bullying and and all of that and how some social media can be terrible. But there are some positives, right? If you know the right um, groups to access. Yeah, um, absolutely. Right. So uh, another thing I want to point out is that um, it's okay not to know what to say. You mentioned that earlier. But I think it would be okay if you see a friend struggling to say, I don't know what to say, but I'm really mm-hmm. scared, right? Mm-hmm. I care about you, and I'm scared, and I want you to know how much I care about you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's another reason of why it, it, it keeps some of us away from saying anything. Like you said, because we, we feel like we're going to step on a landmine, so to speak. Right. We just, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't know what to say, and it's uncomfortable for us. But being forthright, being upfront about that, where we stand, say like, you know, I don't know what to say right now, or I am worried, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now, but I want you to know that I'm here. I'm here to listen. Uh, you know, whatever you need, whatever I can do, I'm here, even just leaving it at that. But we ourselves have the right and uh, to, to be forthcoming about our own feelings and thoughts in those situations, because it's not comfortable for either side. No, it's terrifying. And and I will, again, I said at the beginning of the show, I did, and I've actually lost more than one person I care about to suicide. But I I will say the one that I was the closest to, I was completely devastated. And, you know, I I didn't live with that individual. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just somebody that I cared about. And, and I still even these all these many years later, continue to think about that individual. So it it can be really devastating. And I think to share um, even those kinds of, of, of stories are good. So people know the ramifications that it may be an escape, but it, it truly is so, so terribly devastating to individuals around you and to, to do what you can do to, to try to help prevent it. Right. Absolutely. We're talking about how to take care about the, take care of people that we care about, how to support them, how to keep death from suicide, um, happening. Um, We're going to go straight to the phones because I I really do think sharing stories can make a huge difference. So uh, let's start with Lisa and Hernando. Hi, Lisa. Hi, how are you? I am good. Thank you for calling. Thank you. You? Well, I'm calling. I'm calling because, you know, this is something that I had never suffered with depression prior to this mm-hmm. event, um, when I went through menopause, well, it was really post-menopause, and my mother had also passed away, you know, about three years prior to this depression, and, and it was some of the things that I had found uh, out about my life and my mother's life, you know, post my mother uh, passing away, mm-hmm. but when I when I, it just kind of hit me that I, I just couldn't shake it. It was just these dark, very dark thoughts. Um, and I hid it so well from my family, from my husband, my children. And, and it's funny, the only person that I felt comfortable talking to was my friend that lives all the way in Florida because mm-hmm. I didn't have to see her face to face. And, um, and it was like a perfect storm. And then found out my daughter was uh, abusing drugs, and it just all hit mm-hmm. at one time, and it made me feel very worthless. And 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 I had the, like I said, I just had this dark hanging over me, and I didn't know what to do with it. And one day, it just all, it just all hit me, you know. And I went out into the garage, and I I attempted suicide and which is so unlike me and it is it has since that feeling has since passed and I don't know could it have been you know the menopause you know 
eating in it because I, like I said, prior to that, I had never had dark thoughts, no, no depression. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did have childhood trauma memories hit me, you know, all, it all happened at the same time. Yeah. And I just, you know, and I wonder if it's the, you know, how you, you change through men, menopause, you know, you're. It feels like your whole chemical makeup changes, you know. So, well, it does, Lisa, and and I'll just address that first, and then if Gigi has um, comments, but I will say that definitely um, many many women who are perimenopausal during the menopause, around it, and after, because there are significant hormonal changes, it can certainly affect your mood. Um, there's typically a significant drop in estrogen um, that that can can cause some body changes too. And so, yeah. but but golly, Lisa, you had kind of a pile on. You lost your mother, and and many times, uh, you know, issues come up after a parent's death. I mean, I've been through that most recently with my mother um Mm -hmm. and then and then you know then dealing with with a a child that you care about and love and you know we all have self-doubt about ourselves so kind of a pile on for you right yeah like i said it felt like just the perfect storm yeah you know and and so I think I just want to say that um, that I'm glad you could reach out to a friend. Um, I'm sorry about the 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 attempt that happened. I am so so happy that you are here to call in and let other people know that you you don't have to have a history of serious mental illness to have those kind of thoughts come up, right, no, Gigi? Yeah, right, right. Right, absolutely. Because again, that, that the term depression is so broad. It, mm-hmm. It's it's really being able to start thinking about there's situational depression and then there's clinical depression. And Lisa, listening to you, what you were describing, you know, and being able to highlight and identify where those feelings were coming from for you, they were connected to very you know concerning situations. And even like you said, thinking about you know things that came up from childhood those situations mm-hmm. kind of like a, like that pressure underneath the volcano the volcano is not active right now but it doesn't mean that that pressure is not building up underneath and that sounds like that's what was going on but it was connected to a lot of different situations right there so situations yes, I had depression. no memory of it I yeah. had no memory of these things until they just literally started happening and mm-hmm. it's like you know, I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, yeah. bubbling up, and so yeah. you know, to to reach out to to reach out to a counselor, to reach out to to help is certainly the thing to do. And I hope that um, it sounds like you're doing well now. And and uh, but I, I hope that that you have been able to reach out to uh, a professional to perhaps step through and and make sure that that you're feeling firmly planted. And and have the support that you need, and and thank you to that friend of yours in Florida who was far away and would talk to you about it. So, 
That's good news, Lisa. Um, yes, uh, good good thing to point out is that um, menopause, and actually men can go through um, hormonal changes too. And so men at, at times in their life when they have a drop in testosterone can, can sometimes feel um, mood changes and almost a menopausal effect. So um, guys, keep that in mind. Lisa, thank you for your call. We are going to stay on the phones. Next is Greg in Philadelphia. Hi, Greg. Well, hello, Dr. Botros. It's a wonderful show that you're doing, and I certainly appreciate that. Thank you. I wanted, wanted to uh, tell my story. As a, as a high, school, high schooler growing up, one of my best friends, older brother, ended up taking his life. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was a... There was a guy who I had seen we, after graduation. We went to the same college, and I remember running into him in the gym, and he just said, hey, we should get together and, you know, shoot some darts, play some pool, drink a beer, uh, things like that. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, I'll do that, but, but we really hadn't seen each other in a while. And a, a couple of months went by, and, and then I found out that he had taken his life, oh. and he had put his car in in the family garage and turned turned the key on and, and stayed there. Mm-hmm. And for years, years, I felt so guilty that I had an opportunity to perhaps reach out, to perhaps uh, ask him or just to go out and <clears throat> drink a beer and shoot some darts. It's certainly something I did in college quite a bit uh, there. But it, it led to feelings of, of guilt. Um, I regret. I often thought about it for many years. Uh, and this program, I think, is so important that people can recognize that, one, uh, people of all sorts and backgrounds can commit suicide. Uh, mm-hmm. They can go ahead and, and die by suicide. Yeah. Um, my friend had just graduated from college. He had just inherited a, a good portion of money. He actually had a girlfriend. And I thought, you know, gosh, this guy, why would he do that? Out of mm-hmm. all the things, it seems like he's, you know, 24 years old and he, he had a he, graduated from college, had a good job, and I just didn't understand it until I realized I just never saw him smile. Mm. As I was thinking back, it just seemed like he was never happy. Mm-hmm. And so I do wonder whether he had a undiagnosed depression. But yeah. September is Suicide Awareness Month, and actually September 17th, I believe, is National Physician Suicide Awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have heard about the physician who committed suicide um, I think a, an emergency room doctor who was working uh, during the COVID right. really heavy outbreak mm-hmm. and right. she herself ended up taking her life. So this show, I think, is so important. I just want to encourage people, you know, just like you're, you're talking about, you're not going to make anybody die by suicide or act by asking the question. Yeah. But please ask the questions. And it is totally a good idea to say, well, I don't know, but I can get some help for you. Let me stay with you while we get some help. But Perfect. it is a tough topic to talk about for sure, Dr. Watson. I appreciate you doing this show. Thank you, Greg. And thank you for that call and sharing that story. And, and Gigi, it is, it is very typical that those of us who lost someone to suicide feel guilty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That secondary guilt right there. And we start ruminating like what Greg was talking about. We start thinking about... I should have done this or what would have happened had I had I called or had I been there. We start thinking about the kind of coulda, woulda, shoulda type uh, mm-hmm. instances. 
And even though that's, that's, that's natural, that's typical for those thoughts to be there, but it is important for all of us to make sure that we ourselves are not lingering on those thoughts and we don't start to internalize and harbor those things because then we start taking on even more of that guilt when, just like what Greg was saying, a lot of times people, they'll do a really great job of hiding things or not talking about things. How are we to know uh, what we don't know? Right. You know, so right. and it's, it's important to not take on too much of that responsibility ourselves, right. even though it can be hard. Right. Greg, thanks for sharing. We really appreciate it. We have three more calls that I want to get to. We're going to go next to Richard uh, in, is it Hero, Mississippi? Yeah, yes. Good. Yes. Hi. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You have a a story about a veteran um, suicide? Actually, actually, I'm a veteran service officer. Um, Well, thank you for your service. you bet. I put 14 years in the military. I'm a, I'm a Vietnam combat veteran. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work. I, I'm a I'm a judge advocate and service officer with the Veterans of Foreign Wars, and my phone is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I've had several times. Uh, well, first let me let me emphasize. You know, you hear all the time that 22 veterans take their lives every day. Mm-hmm. Well. That number is a little low. It's more about 27 veterans take their lives every day. Um, And I've had guys call me at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and telling me they're depressed and they don't know what to do. They can't get help from the VA and they're on their last leg. And the only thing they can think of is either putting a bullet between their ears or uh, taking a bunch of medicine and, and just calling it quits. And it's tough trying to talk to these guys because there's help out there for them. And, right. and one, of the, one of the problems, with, we have an 800 number that's a suicide number. And the only problem is it's, it's run by mostly uh, college students who are only mildly trained in what to do. And normally what they will do is they will instantly uh, trace the call and contact the sheriff's department or the local police department and have them go out to the house where the person is at and try to talk them down, Um, which is okay. uh, But those guys, too, they're not as well trained as a service officer or someone who deals with veterans every day. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're right. And and like I said, there is um this newly set up um national line at a 988 number um with trained individuals. So I just want to keep giving that number out, Richard, if um if there is another number you think is helpful and and Gigi um this might be a good time right now. We'll have these numbers posted on our our website too. So um, with our podcast, um, so thank you for that. But but there is a very Richard. There is I think all of our listeners know a high incidence of of suicide in the military population for obvious 
reasons, it's it's tough. It's really tough. And sometimes even, um, you know, they're, the individuals are serving and um, don't feel as supported as they should be. So let's keep that in mind. Um, Richard, thank you for that call. Let's go next. We've got B in Jackson who has a story of a friend. Hi, B. Hello. Yeah, we're here. Actually, my name is Dana. My oh. ex-boyfriend is named Dave. He is listening now, probably. Uh, I'll make it quick. We dated uh, for five years, about five, four or five years. He was very clingy. Uh, called me all the time, texted all the time. Uh, and uh, when his mother died, uh, well, he told me he was bipolar and that he actually saw a psychiatrist in the 80s and was put on medication but that he took himself off because it made him fat. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I was working with a fragile person. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I just let him know that he was loved. And he told me, he said, thank you for letting me know uh, that life was worth living. Because, see, he was going to mm-hmm. commit suicide. And this guy told me one day, I'm in love with you. And the very next day, no, I'm not. Right. Uh, I love everybody. And then he started pushing me away, started nitpicking things like that, insulting my intelligence, things of that nature. Um, you know, making comments about my children being sexy little bees, uh, that they weren't supposed to grow up, stuff, stuff of that nature. Uh, and I, I, I've known him since 1994, and just a few weeks ago, it's like, I just can't take this stuff anymore. I, I, I you know, I I pray for him, but I... I'm, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. You know, many times, mm-hmm. B, I'll just say, many times when when people are in your life and you care about them and they care about you and they start pushing back from you, sometimes, um, obviously, it's not you. It's it's an internal story. So mm-hmm. I hope if if he is listening that he is going to reach out for help um, because I, I really – think that that those kind of pushaways are are typically don't you gg many times there's something yeah. going on internal yeah absolutely that just like that defense mechanism the person is preparing themselves to be like let me kind of cut all ties and push everything and everyone away it because it's easier that way mm-hmm and so I, I just will say now I don't know, Dave, if you are listening. If if you if you truly are feeling some anger and some upset about whatever it is, or if you are, you know, we've talked about this often. Often, um, mad is sad, especially in the male population. Many times, boys and men will feel and project anger um, Mm -hmm. when there is extreme sadness. So it may mean that that you need to talk to someone, you need to ask for help, and you perhaps may need some counseling and or a combination of medication. But but B, I, I think in protection of yourself, many times you do have to have to step away. So um, I, we are done with our time. I want to thank all of our callers and I apologize. Our last caller we didn't get to. Um, Gigi, I want to thank you again. You are 
awesome help always. Um, Everybody, don't forget that 988 line and how important that is. If you'd like to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app by searching Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPV Think Radio, engineered by my producer, Jay White. Um, call screener was our wonderful intern, Charles Arnold. And I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.